Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, it's time for Executive Perspective. Executive Perspective is brought to you by Cressa, going beyond space to foster the best environment for every business. Now, here's your host, Danny Vandermeer. Hello, and welcome to Executive Perspective, a podcast series brought to you by Cressa, the world's largest commercial real estate firm dedicated to representing tenants. At Cressa, we understand the value of relationships and the power of connecting with others in the business world, and that's why we love this podcast series, where we get to sit down with executives and leaders and listen to their challenges, insights, and unique perspectives. My name is Danny Vandermate, and I'm a Vice President of Tenant Advisory in the Atlanta office of Cressa. I am today's host of Executive Perspective, and today, very excited to welcome Chris Schuler, Chief Executive Officer of Simeo Solutions. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. And so, Simeo Solutions, the short of it is that you guys help organizations execute, manage, and optimize identity access management programs. But for somebody who doesn't even know what identity access management is or has never heard the acronym IAM, what more would you add to that and what you guys do? Yeah, I mean, the easiest way for a consumer or even just a business owner that is trying to connect the dots, right? So one, cybersecurity, like everybody's heard that by now. Yes. Um, two, identity theft. I think everybody's heard about that by now. Certainly. Um, so how does that sit within an enterprise, mm-hmm. right? So think about, you know, as an employee, I don't care what employee position you are. If you're working the paint counter at Home Depot, mm-hmm. Or if you're logging into intellectual property to, to do your, your job, right? You need identity to go get access to that. Um, so what's really unique about what we do is we connect the world to cybersecurity, which is protecting a company, protecting you know information, an organization. And then we also connect the business side, mm-hmm. which is giving the users, the customers, the business partners access you know, in your world, you have customers and they need access to data that you have. How do you do that? You do it through identity. So it's extremely complex, but broken down simplistically, it's just protecting the identities and giving the access that drives business. So it's a beautiful position to actually be in because you actually can do two things versus just one, ultimately driving, um, you know, profitability for your customers. And are those services that Simeo provides through products or strictly just contracted services? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a mix of both, right? Okay. So we like to talk about, you know, I think that people use this loosely, but, but we really do embody it, but it's people process and technology. So we can use our technology as well as third-party technology. So a lot of customers have made investments in technologies. Most of them have never been fully implemented, right? Um, more times than not, we see about 20% adoption. Mm-hmm. That's what kills most tools in, in the enterprise, right? Enterprise tooling and technology adoption is what usually kills a tool. Um, but, but the second part of it, though, is the people in the process. And that's really what we embody. We're an organization of about 850 people globally. Um, that's our people. That's, that's who we are. And then the process is just through our experience, 15 years in existence, it's a lot of process that we've delivered for thousands of customers. So combining those two with our technology, which helps our vendors, our, our, our technology partners, deliver even more effectively for the clients, that's really what we do. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. And so a little bit of background about you. Graduated from Northern Illinois, mm-hmm. 
Received your MBA at Auburn, War Eagle brother. War Eagle. Love, love to see that. Um, you're in the Army for 12 years, 93 to 2005, and your expertise included information and cybersecurity. And when you left, you had risen the ranks to becoming Director of Global Security Operations. And shortly after the Army, you were with IBM for 10 years, where you built and managed global security centers and cloud-managed services. Along the way, married with three beautiful children, one in college and two still at home with you. And I, I set the stage and kind of give a little bit of your background because on this series, we love storytelling. Mm-hmm. And in an individual such as yourself, you've, I mean, that's already a great rap sheet, but here you are now your chief executive officer of Simeo. And I'm curious to ask if there ever was a turning point in your journey to where you're at now, what was it? Yeah, it's a great, great question. Uh, first, I'm extremely blessed. I mean, you know, where, where I grew up and how I grew up, like if I had to ever envision where I would be today, it wouldn't be here mm. at all. It probably wouldn't be leaving Chicago. Um, in fact, <laughs> great city. Great at city. the time, none of my family had ever left that area. Um, I was the very first one that actually decided I'm not coming back <laughs> after the military. I'm going to stay somewhere else. Um, so I'm extremely blessed. I mean, parents I just, love to hear that, by the way. Yes, yes. And I finally got my parents to leave Chicago, um, and they live down in Gulf Shores, Alabama now. Oh, great. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'll, uh, there's not a single turning point for me. Um, <clears throat> to be frank, there was a lot of, I can think of the names of people gotcha. that, you know, when I think about what got me to the place I'm in today, it's guys like, Ron Smith, Kim Colton, um, Rick Miller. Like these are guys that you're maybe not familiar with, but guys that I know poured into me, gave me opportunities that maybe some young 26 year old kid should have never have gotten this opportunity, but, but they're going to bet they saw something in me that even I didn't see. And that's, that's kind of throughout my entire career. Like I've always had amazing leaders that have seen things in me that maybe I didn't see and are able to bring it out of me. And that's something that I embody today. I try to, I try to do that same thing. It sounds like you're speaking to the power of a true mentor. Yeah, absolutely. And how, absolutely. and how valuable that is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, in, in that mix, I started building confidence, right? When you have a mentor that really sees things in you that you don't see and then starts bringing it out of you, and then as it, as it comes out and you start to see the value of it and you're like, oh, I, I delivered that. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden you build confidence. You're like, I can do that again, right? Because now I can repeat it. I have that script, that playbook. And, um, and I think the, the biggest jump for me, if I have to think about like an actual event, it was probably two events. One, leaving the military. Leaving the military. That was like my blanket because mm-hmm. I was good at it, Yeah. right? Like I knew that system. I was very good. I was a high performer, that was the number one going to the private sector. It was seemed a, like a massive change of. It's context. a massive. I mean, it was like it was a big change. I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, that was a that was a massive change, and the second one was leaving IBM. Oh wow! Right. So imagine, like again, massive organization. I was really good in IBM. Like I kind of perfected of my execution model in that environment, and then going to a small company, mm. right where it's not IBM. So I'm interested, that change from the Army to IBM, I, I never really thought about that for you before, but what was the biggest difference? What was the one thing uh, that you just, you, you kind of you either saw it right away or over time you thought, wow, I've changed because of yeah. where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the obvious thing that nobody ever verbalizes. It's 
a focus on revenue. Uh huh. That's interesting. Government doesn't focus on revenue. You're right. 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 Especially, well, especially in your role. Yeah. When, we focus on budgets. Yes. Right. So you're constantly building the, the, you know, the, the story to get your, to, to, to secure your budget and get more budget. Right. And it's all about projects and executing projects with a goal of ultimately delivering something to your customers who are you know, citizens or military war fighting units, right? Yeah, the, the, arvor, the overarching goal yes. of the U.S. Army and what Correct. it does and what, what you're concerned with That's right. versus IBM yes. and, Profit. Our, and our top line. Yeah, it's all about revenue growth, top line, driving profitability. I mean, that just operating in a brand new schema, I mean, it was a, it was a massive change for me. And then going from IBM to Simeo, was yeah. it just a... Just a massive change in just size. Yeah, size, size, and in your lateral ability to communicate throughout yeah. the organization. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. Um, I, I've now, you know, to, to thine own self to be true, I've now realized I enjoy smaller companies because of the nimbleness that a small company can can deliver. Um, you know, I mean, elephants can't fly. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's always been the struggle with an IBM of the world, right? And that's why we acquired a lot of companies back at IBM because we couldn't innovate and be nimble and quick. We had process and methodology and and weight. And small companies don't have any of that. Like, I want to make a change. Like, I literally wanted to make a change. And I'm like, you know what? It's about my people. And my people need more time off for mental health because of COVID. I'm going to go to unlimited PTO. or We call it open PTO. Hmm. We just immediately rolled it out. How's that been going? Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it sounds great. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, and it, 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 you know, if you entrust your people to take care of your clients, then you ain't got to worry about like how many days they took off. They take the days off they need and then they, they grind when they need to grind. And I think you got to embody your people, you know, embody that, invite that, that culture so that your people see that, Hey, he's, he believes in it. I can believe in it. At the end of the day, it's taking care of our customers. And that honestly, I, I learned some of that behavior, the wrong behavior in these big organizations and how they couldn't make those changes, you know, and it's, you know, state laws and, you know, all these sorts of things that restrict them from moving and having this nimbleness. Um, and, uh, and I just love having, you know, a smaller organization that can go head to head with them. I mean, against major SIs, like I'm a hundred percent, like no major SI is, and that's all I compete with is big four and major SIs. Uh-huh. Um, so it is kind of a David and Goliath story. Yeah. Um, I get to compete with against these guys every single day and beat them on qualifications and nimbleness. That's amazing. And going back to what you were first talking about and, and having mentors early in your life, it would seem like going to an organization from like IBM to Simeo, it would seem like it would allow for you as the leader, as a leader, as a voice, to have maybe more of an impact in being a mentor and yeah. pouring into other people. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's um. You know, something that I, I I actually embraced fairly early on at, at Simeo. And I think COVID kind of COVID kind of forced me to do it. You know, like coming in and taking over an organization during COVID, like right as COVID kicked off, I came in as CEO. Great timing. Great timing. Right. Get to go meet all your people. You are yeah, Chris, <laughs> you you are ripe for the role. Now handle this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um you know, and, and, and you know, Teams or Zoom or whatever wasn't fully adopted. So like you're meeting a lot of your team over a a puck on your desk. Yeah. Um, but I, I realized really quickly that my people needed to hear me and see me all the time. Yeah. Um, so I started doing weekly video calls with my entire company every week. 
so many people could see me and hear me. But then it morphed. It morphed to just seeing me and hearing me to me having an agenda for that call. And a lot of times the agenda isn't like just telling them how the business is doing. The agenda is making them better people, mm-hmm. you know, just enlightening them, giving them something that maybe they didn't think about before, a motivational thing, or just giving them in transparency who their CEO really is, yeah. what what he's about, right? Like, you know, obviously where you put your treasures, right? So, you know, if I focus on the right things week after week after week, and it's something that's going to move the needle on the cultural aspect. They're going to they're going to experience that. They're not just going to see a PowerPoint slide or an email come out for me and be like, "Oh, Chris really ma- Chris really cares about the people." Yeah. Like, no, no, no. Chris every single week live video talks about the people and brings people on. So that was like number one, and then number two was you know because you have a little bit. Um, a little bit more influence. I don't like to use the word influence because it seems forced. Um, but people, people at least will listen more keenly to what you say. Um, that gave me an opportunity, an opportunity yeah. to kind of, you know, speak truth to people and not just coach them. Cause I don't like the word use coaches. Like if you're trying to get performance, like I had coaches throughout my entire childhood, right? right? They weren't mentors. Yeah. I had one, um, but they weren't mentors. They were coaches. Um, I think mentors is, you know, when you're, when you're trying to help someone for the betterment of themselves, not the betterment of the company. Selflessly. Yeah. Selflessly. Uh I think, you know, and, and I think most of my team is getting to the point where they're embodying kind of like selfless leadership. Um, but it's hard. I mean, it's, it's really hard for, for anybody to say, you know what, like, and, and, and this is something that most leaders can't do, but I'll take all the blame. Yeah. Like all the blame we fail client has an issue, can't back, whatever. I take all the blame. How do you think doing that resonates with the people you lead? I think, I think it's amazing for the people you lead because then they know that like they, they got a, you know, they got someone above them that's going to protect them. Right. Like we all want to feel a sense of protection. I mean, safety is the number one thing that we all thrive for, for our families, for ourselves, et cetera. But then the flip side is, is, and this is the part that equally is hard for anybody it's like you work your butt off every mm-hmm. day, right? And the glory comes. Yeah. And you're just like, yes, bring it to me. <laughs> right? Yeah. But here's the thing as a true selfless leader, is you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You got to give it all away, give it all to your people. Yeah. Right? So you're taking all the bullets, right? As uh, one of my board members t- tells me, he's like, Chris, you're really good at taking 99 bullets, but that last bullet, you don't let it hit you, right? Because <laughs> you stay alive. But I take them all. But then as the glory comes, you give every ounce to your people. I would think that the other effect that that has to on your workforce taking blame is mistakes happen. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's so easy, especially depending on what stage you're at in your professional career. I made a mistake. Oh, my gosh. I hope nobody finds out. Oh, my gosh. How can I minimize this? Or Oh, my gosh. I you know, I hope I, I hope I don't get canned for this. I hope I don't get penalized. Yep. I hope they don't put me back on the old PTO system because I lost that privilege. Um. You know, I would think that as a leader, when you take that blame and other and, yeah. and, and other individuals see it, it almost bring full circle to what you're talking about earlier. You could build that confidence in them yeah. to not worry about making mistakes, because yep. that's dangerous mind. That, that's yeah, a dangerous mindset to be in. So right? if you if if you know that you're going to own the the blame, what are you going to do? You're going to immediately go into excuse making. Potentially, right? yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want my people excuse making. Like right. I have a zero excuse policy. Right. We're about solutions. 
So identify the problem, get to the root of the problem as fast as possible, mm-hmm. and let's start making solutions. And I'm a fail fast guy as well. Yeah. So I want to fail as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Let's try new things, try new solutions. If we fail, great. We failed quick. We learned some things in the process. Usually it's a very iterative process. So usually the first failure, it's like you're 50%, 60% of the way there awesome mm-hmm. right now let's iterate 70 iterate we are at 80 iterate we're at 90 now we're cooking with crisco <laughs> so it's for me it's it's like you got to embody that ownership of failure which then tells your people okay chris isn't going to start hammering me because of this problem right where i got to start being you know making these excuses instead i need to come back to chris now who's taking all the ownership of the problem with solutions mm. Right. And now all of a sudden, then you, then yeah, you, you build an organization making. Yes. You get there faster. That's right. Like, that's what I want. I, you know, you need an organization that truly is looking out and in some ways using a hockey analogy, skating to the puck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, where's the, like, okay, I missed it, but where's the puck going to go next and how do I get there? Yeah. And, and, and worrying less about just staying on your skates. Yes. And what people are seeing when exactly. they see you fall. That's right. That's impressive. Another question. This is getting to your services and your clients that you work with. Are you able to share a memorable interaction that you've had with a customer recently that kind of highlights the value that you guys deliver and, you know, how did that impact affect you and your workforce? Yeah, a a couple of different interactions, actually. You should mention that one. Um, One, yeah, I think as you deliver truly like a partnership, like not a service because service can be kind of a vendor relationship. Right. And I always, I mean, I, I, some, some clients do this automatically, right? They call you a vendor yeah. and you just, you know, you, you get to take it. You get into the V zone. Yeah. Yeah. It's the V zone, like the friend zone, right? The friend zone. When we were young. The friend zone um, in, in professional life. Yes. The V zone. It's, 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 it's not a great place to be in, but you can do it. You can be successful in that space. But you, what you want is you want a customer to see you as a partner and, 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 and kind of the the crescendo of that is you want to you want a customer to see you as one of them, right? That's like when you when you hit that level, now all of a sudden like you're you're speaking their language, you're taking their lumps with them, you're winning with them. They're giving you the glory as they win. Like it's just a beautiful place to be in, and it's not about just the revenue and the profits, right? It's about truly delivering on what you say you're going to deliver. And the client entrusting you in that and then going forward and trusting you. And I was in a meeting um, with a client and the client paused me because I was you know, kind of in the, the partner model, right? I was approaching them as the partner model and the client stopped me and said, Chris, like, I need you to understand something. You own my identity strategy. You own my identity. Ex- this is a Fortune 10 customer, yeah. right? Like the weight of them saying this to me, like it... it I felt the weight, mm-hmm. right? This because is what I asked for, and now they're giving it. And they're giving me. it to me. me. Yes, that it's mine, right? And and I'll tell you. So, so that's heavy. It's heavy, right? Um, any any smaller company, you know, and this is one of my my top five customers too, right? Like, there's weight to that. But the beauty of what happens in that is that my behavior changes. Yeah, my people's behavior changes. Like a lot of clients don't see the forest and the trees in this. And I see it. And, and this interaction like really highlighted it for me because they put me in that box of like, you're one of us, you're family. Like, like you are we. Yes. And you call us so, we. So imagine when you and I interact in uh-huh. a business world and we have the, the, the connection of, of having went to the same university and loving the same university. 
right? There's an immediate kind of like behavior change that we have. There's a, a level of trust, a level of transparency, right? And we're going to take care of each other automatically, mm-hmm. like just inherently, because we have that, that close kind of kinship. And when a client did that to me, it was like, I mean, I walked out of that meeting, grabbed my people, and I said, we will give them whatever they need to be successful. Yeah. I don't care if it costs us money. They've given us their trust. Yes, we will and not. That's worth its weight in more yeah. than gold. And I tell clients, and, and I generally mean this when I say it to clients, not all clients take me, but I'm like, if you trust me, I will not let you fail. Like, and that's something that I did learn, like through my, my history, right? You know, like even my upbringing from my father is, you know, you're a man of your word and you do what you say, right? Even if it's going to cost you money. My dad used to run multiple jobs and I know a few times like, you know, he went into a job and underpriced it and it cost him way more money and he still delivered it, right? I didn't try to shortchange him because you're a man of your word, right? And in most environments, especially my industry that I'm in, word gets around, if you shortchange. Mm-hmm. So I'll go that extra mile. When, when they put you in that zone, which this is what happened, mm-hmm. I was like, I'll do whatever it takes. Yeah, a lot of what you're talking about in this particular story is, is, is really the power of a relationship mm-hmm. and what, what it is to get there, but also the way you describe it, what it charges you to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and that trust, it's, it's always fascinating to me because it's, it's the hardest thing to build right away, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, it's fragile. But in that instance, when you know you've gotten there, that feeling of like that weight that you describe, yeah. it's like, yeah. wow, this is what I asked for. And now I've got it. You carry it with you. It's, it's, it's when it really becomes more than about the product, more than about yeah. what Simeo is going to earn and more about winning together. Yeah. And you, and you have to, you have to remind yourself constantly, right? When, when you're in the, the V zone, going to the partner zone, right? We'll use this pyramid. Um, you know, trust is earned in drops. But when you get to the top of the pyramid, it's lost in buckets. Mm. You got to remind yourself constantly, like, yeah, they've trusted us with so much. But yet, if we break that trust, like this whole pyramid collapses mm. and you're right back to the start. So it's, it's something that we constantly remind ourselves. That's why we take it so serious with that weight. Yeah. Because you know that, like, it's taking so much in these drops to finally get to the bucket. Mm-hmm. But now that we got the bucket, like it doesn't take much right. and that bucket's going to dump over and you're right back at square one again. And yeah. you're not going to do that with one of your biggest, biggest accounts. So uh, we wait, we wear that weight and that's, you know, honestly, as a smaller company, how we've grown is because we wear that weight with our clients because we know about the trust and how important it is in that engagement. And because of that, a lot of our clients are actually reference clients. They bring other clients in. They're like, that's, oh, that's almost as as much pressure yo, as, oh, as it, it is for something that's totally. fostered, yes. fostered organically. When that happens, yep. wow, you've got somebody else's good name on the line with you. That's whose right. Whose name that you value yep. and whose bucket you don't want to drop. That's right. Just as much. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of dropping buckets, and it, it, you know, whatever story you can share with us to this point that comes next doesn't necessarily have to be about losing a relationship, but... You know, is there a way you can share like any kind of a major setback at any point in your career, not just with Simeo or failure that you went through and you either went through individually or with a team and how you handled it and what you learned? Yeah. I mean, I can think about a bunch in my, my younger career. Um, you don't make that many mistakes. <laughs> uh, I fail fast. <laughs> That's right. When you fail fast. So you I, do. I do, but I fail very fast. Um, yeah, I'm always, I'm always looking to try new things. Um, 
And uh, I think recently, like, you know, I think Simeo is probably the easiest. Um, I made a lot of mistakes. I mean, going through COVID, there was no playbook. There still isn't a playbook with hybrid work. No. Um, but I've always We been, are all figuring that out. We're all figuring it out. And you know what, it, what's, what, what I love is you know, my, my employees, um, my people, like they embrace it with me. I'm, I'm so transparent with them. I'm like, guys, I'm trying this. This is what, I mean, literally, this is like the conversation with, mm-hmm. you know, almost a thousand people. Like, we're going to try this. We're not sure it's going to work, <laughs> but we're going to put all of our effort into it. And if it fails, like, it's on me. Yeah. <laughs> but if it wins, like, my HR team is awesome uh-huh. for doing this. Um, no, like, uh, I'll give you a real relevant, um, tough, tough one was you know, starting in a brand new company um, of my top 10 clients, three of them left in 2020. Oh. Right. So wow. imagine you take over a company and three of your top clients starting off on the right foot. Yeah. But you're failing fast, failing fast, yeah. really fast. <laughs> um, and then going back to your sponsor, your PE and being like, you know, this thing that you invested in. Um, yeah. It's going to take us a little bit longer because, mm. Oh, by the way, like all that revenue was subscription revenue. Oh, so you got to backfill that ARR, which is a whole lot harder than consulting yep. revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, and that's what Simio is known for is, is our, you know, continuous managed services. I mean, that's what we deliver to our clients. Um, so that was number one. So what I did, cause I wanted to understand, you know, brand new and, you know, why are these clients leaving? I set up one-on-ones with each client. I didn't want to ask like a loss review. It was a conversation with the clients. Like, Hey, you know, give me the good, bad, and the ugly. And then also, like now, if if you'll humor me, will you put put yourself in my shoes? Mm. You're the brand new CEO coming in, taking over this company. What would you do differently, if given the opportunity? And um, I had one client, um, amazing, I mean, amazing story. I can go into this one for a while, but I'll make it brief. Um, awesome, awesome leader out of Nashville. Um, we had a, a short call, and his team was on the call, and. Um, he gave me some feedback and his team gave me feedback. And he, and he said at the end of the call, he's like, Hey, Chris, like if you want more feedback from me directly on a one-on-one set time up and I'll give you, I'll give you the time. And I was like, there's more to this one. Yeah. That's right. Exactly what you asked for. This is what I asked for. So I got on the call for an hour and I asked him this question and he unpacked everything to me. Wow. It was amazing. At the end of the hour call. And it was, I mean, we, we were not, we were not even in the V zone. Oh, gosh. right. Like it was just not, a, it was like everything that we did was not what we said we would do and what we should do. And we just, we couldn't get ahead of ourselves. Right. And this happens sometimes. And sometimes you just got to have one of those like, you know, circumventions. You just got to come in immediately, nail it, figure it out, and then start a new char- charter path. Well, you just couldn't do it. Um, at the end though, I said, um, his name's Jim. I said, Jim, if you could do me one thing, I'm not asking for it today. I'm asking for it tomorrow. At some point, even if it's not even at your current company, at some point, if you'll give my company a chance to at least prove that we've changed, I've taken all of your feedback, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you right now, like I believe in all your feedback and I will make these changes and we will be a better company at the end of the day. And um, he gave me some good feedback on that. He's like, you know, there's a lot of things you got to do though. And Fair enough. And we stayed committed to it. But the one thing that, that I promised him at the end of that, though, and they were transitioning away from us, I said, this transition will be the smoothest and the best transition you've ever experienced. Even though you're going to a competitor, 
we will make sure that that transition is smooth and effective and on time and on budget. And we did. Wow. And I personally was a sponsor, brand new. It's like, I am not messing this one up, right? Um, the amazing part of that story is two and a half years later, we just signed this logo for a three-year deal. Wow. Right? Based on Isn't his that feedback. Something? Isn't that something? Incredible. And he, and he, man of his word, uh-huh. right? Gave us multiple opportunities over the course of two and a half years to kind of, you know, show that we've changed, demonstrate that we've changed. And it took a lot of effort. I mean, big shout out to my go-to-market team for consistently showing and demonstrating and being relevant um, and having references that could speak to him and show, you know, successful engagements. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a, what a, what an amazing learning experience for me though, taking over this company. Um, and it, it really helped kind of change what we were about as well. Like for the last three plus years. Somebody said to me last week, never waste a catastrophe. Yeah. yeah. And um, that's a good example of that coming in new CEO, big customer leaving yeah. tough revenue to replace, but really turning that into like an opportunity to learn and then really yeah. measuring your integrity and literally helping making it the most smooth transition on the way out. Yeah. That, that, that speaks a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always, you know, you always got to think about and back in the catastrophe side. Right. But you know, how many times have we been in a situation where, you know, something's being canceled or you're not, not able to do what, what you had planned to do flight canceled or whatever. The immediate reaction is always a negative one. Yep. It's always a negative one. Clients leaving you good riddance. Mm. Let's make it the most profitable exits that we can get all the revenue. But if you're a long-term player in the game, like I'm a long time Delta fan, right? Like when my flight gets canceled, I'm a long time Delta fan. Yeah. Right. Like I see the forest and the trees, mm-hmm. you know, my mom, my mom used to always say like, you get a lot more from honey than vinegar. That's true. You know? And for our clients, like they see that mm-hmm. they, your body language screams it. If your mentality is like good riddance, your clients know immediately what you're about and they're going to talk to their friends. They're going to tell their friends what you're about. So I always want this, you know, this, this, I tell my team sometimes like <clears throat> even when employees leave, um, I'm always celebrating them because I'm like, you had an amazing journey with us and I want to see you be successful in your career and go on and reach new heights. But I tell all my employees as well. I'm like, but make sure that the smell that you leave when you're leaving is one of flowers, uh-huh. right? Because yeah. flowers are everlasting. Like that smell of a beautiful flower, you'll remember that for a long time. Right. And a lot of times, you know, um, you know, with customers or with people, as people leave, they tend to forget about that mm-hmm. and they tend to leave in a little bit of a haste. Right. Right. And they don't go out smelling. And you think about, I had an employee that left and he had spent 10 years and um, on his exit, he was getting a little bit hard, a little bit cynical because he was already thinking about his next role. Right. Right. Not where he's at today. Right. Always live in the present. Right. And I pulled him aside and I just said, Hey man, like your legacy is incredible. Like you helped build this company. 10 incredible years, a decade in a company that's just 15 years old, right? But yet you're going to go out and everyone's going to remember the last 30 days from you. The guy who's short, who's cutting people off. Like you don't want that smell, yeah, right? Like you want the smell of like, man, he left on his last day and was still doing one-on-ones with people because that's going to live on forever. Right, that is the last impression. Yes, and exactly. And that sticks. Yeah, like what do you it's, what do you want that, your legacy to be? Right, it, you know? it, it's that old saying, everyone remembers 
how other people made them feel. Yeah, that's right. And that last impression, yep. it's, it says a lot. Yeah. Right? You can go out in a number of different ways. Yep. Usually your instant emotion is the wrong one. Yeah, that's right. Um, so the last part of this, just a little bit more about yeah. you personally. And some of these questions come from a show that's, it, it kind of dates me. You might remember it. It's called Inside the Actors Studio. <laughs> Way back in the 90s. I think you just said I'm a little bit older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. And, um, you know, these are these are just always interesting I ones. That. I love that generation, and, by the way. Yeah, same here. Um, I wish I could go back. Um, these questions always fascinate me. So for you, what makes a good day a good day? What makes mm-hmm. a bad day a bad day? Yeah, I mean, um, I'll start with the second one, the latter first. Um, bad days, Bad days are learning days for me. Like, my wife, I, my wife will laugh as she listens to this, but I make a comment to her some days when she's like, how was your day? She asked me every day, every day. Uh-huh. Um, how was your day? And she doesn't just want good, bad. Like, how was your day? And I'll tell her some days it was a CEO day. Oh, uh, and she knows that's code word for CEO day. That was a tough day. Mm-hmm. Really tough day. Uh, it's a tough job, lonely job, a lot on your desk, a lot can fly in that you weren't planning for it and you got to solve it. You can't hand it off to anybody else. Um, but those are learning days for me. Like every CEO day is like, I learned something about myself, um, about my people, um, about my customers, whatever it is on that CEO day. Um, that's a bad day. Good day. Um, man, when I, when I hear one of my people like crushing it with a customer or one of my people like helping someone else, um, Man, that's an incredible day. Yeah, those are fun. Like those are just it's like emotional spikes. That feel oh, great. they're yeah. amazing. Like that's just like the best. Like I, I mean, I get up in the morning. I'm regimented. I'm disciplined. I mean, years of military and and all of that. Like I put the work in every day. It's not like I I finish the day and I'm like I crushed it today. Mm-hmm. Yay me. Um, <laughs> that's to be expected, mm-hmm. you know. But what makes a good day is when you get that reverb of all the stuff that you're putting in, it's resonating and your people are getting the glory for it. You're just like, it's a good day. It's a really good day. Yeah. Those are fun days. Um, What profession or industry other than identity access management would you like to attempt? Oh, that's interesting. Um, It's crazy, but um, I love people. I really love people. Um, You can't make money in it, but, I love seeing change in people, you know, for a long time, uh, a few people will be listening to this. Maybe, um, I actually ran a gym out of my basement for free. Oh, wow. Um, I used to bring guys in that like never lifted weights or exercise in their life, but wanted to make a change. Start from the bottom with them. Yeah. And they'd come into my basement at 5 AM and work out for like an hour and a half. It was before CrossFit was cool. Uh (laughs) Like we would do that in my basement. I had a full blown box, full blown gym, like three squat racks, thousands of pounds of weights, um, yeah, I wouldn't like put it into one thing, but I think if, if, if I was afforded the opportunity to just help people make their life a little bit better, even the 1% a day thing, yeah, that to me is just like what I'm designed for, you yeah. know, like I, I love if investing in people, um, the last six years I've invested in 10 high school boys, mm. uh, from middle school to high school, I uh. discipled these boys and now seeing them as like literally grown men going off to college. Um, yeah. Anything that kind of has to do with that would be like, that's, that's next for me. Based on what we've heard, it sounds like you, 
you're actually already able to at least attempt to integrate yeah, some to. of that into what you do. I'm called for it. You know, I, I'm called for it. So I figure it out, you know, yeah. like right now I, um, I help with a local jujitsu school. Um, I, I teach there, um, just helping. And it's not just teaching, but it's like having that ability to shape mold, maybe mentor a little bit, some of those young kids in that, in that school. And then some of the older guys that come in, even some of the Johns Creek police department that comes in and I train just showing them that like, Hey man, like you can take care of yourself. Yeah. You know, like this isn't, this isn't rocket science, uh-huh. you know, like you learn a couple of things and all of a sudden you're like, Hmm, my self-confidence just self-confidence, confidence just boosted a little bit. Um, and being a part of that is just like being one small little, you know, cog in that wheel. That's, that's awesome. That is great. So last one, when you get to the pearly gates of heaven, what do you hope God tells you? Oh, well, one, I know what he'll tell me is you listened to, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a professed Christian, right? Professed Christian. You listen to, you listen to, to your, your savior, Jesus, right? And you got here because of that. Um, but two, I just, you know, I think just that you did my work. Yeah. That's it. Like, it doesn't have to be prof- profound. Mm-hmm. Um, just like, I think being on mission is hard in this world. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. It is. This world's hard. Um, hard on the soul. Yeah. No matter what faith you are, right. um, no matter what faith you are, it's, it's hard to live in this world. Um, not being, con- not being almost forced to conform the way this world's trying to make people into. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's an evilness to this world that just is, is unsettling for a lot of people. Um, yeah. If, if, if he just says like, you did good work. Like that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. You know? Well, Chris, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Learning a lot more about you and being able to share this. Um, If somebody were to want to try to get in touch with you, Lord knows how busy you are. um, What would be the best way for them to do so? Yeah. I mean, obviously through our company, if if there's an official kind of business thing, Uh um, but you know, LinkedIn, um, Chris Schuler, C Schuler. Um, on LinkedIn, I, I, I actually do respond to most direct messages, mm-hmm. um, on LinkedIn. Um, so please hit me up on there and, uh, social media, um, I'm on Twitter and on Instagram, uh, the shoe. So the shoe, the shoe, but I like that. Yeah. Handle. But, but, one. uh, LinkedIn is, um, super easy and, and their actual direct messaging platform is, is really rock, rock solid. So yeah, I'd love to reach out to anyone that, you know, is in the area and wants to connect, um, young CEOs, like, new CEOs. I, I do coffee with a lot, um, uh, just to help them kind of, you know, again, if I can impart a little bit of my experience to help them be just the 1% better, 2% better. Right. Um, I'm all about it. Yeah, as long as you're able to, you know, kind of commute to my area. So it's not crazy inconvenient, like within a 10 mile radius. I live up in Johns Creek. Um, yeah, man, let's just grab coffee. That's awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for, for coming and joining us and, um, listeners out there, this concludes this series. Reach out to Chris Schuler if you can, when you can. And thank you again for your time and listening. Thanks, Danny. Thank you for joining us on Executive Perspective. This show is brought to you by Cressa, the world's largest occupier-centric commercial real estate firm offering unbiased, conflict-free advice. For more information, go to Cressa.com.